1: there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk about um, the period of time in the 1980s after the death of Tito in Yugoslavia and the tensions that seem to be building up to the Balkan Wars of the 1990s following the collapse of uh, communism. Um, there's a, a really interesting little uh, moment in Hobsbawm's The Age of Extremes when he talks about it's right at the very beginning, perhaps even on the front page. Um, I have read the whole book. Um, where he talks about a um, a visit by Francois Mitterrand, um, the French Premier, to um, Sarajevo in 1995, um, and it was he he picked the date of the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand uh, and his wife, um, and was making an obvious point about the risks of the Balkan Wars, that it might draw in uh, NATO and Russia, and it, it might create the conditions for a new world war. We are far more mindful, uh, given current, current events um, and current tensions, of the possibility of world war. Now, sounds a terrifying thing to say, but it's true. In the 1990s, uh, the uh, Balkans presented a significant threat of, you know, an escalated conflict. But the um, the point that. Uh, Mitterrand was attempting to make wasn't just about the Balkans but it was about the 20th century in general particularly the latter half of the 20th century which seemed to be um a a period of eminent forgetting um that uh, events that had happened um within the uh the lifespan of great grandparents had been largely forgotten um this is what what Mitterrand believed um the tensions that tore Yugoslavia apart in the nineteen nineties was sort of explained in about in two particular ways. The first way, and this was a particularly Anglo-American way, was that um, the Balkans are a, something of a write-off; that nobody really fully understands them. They're too uh, chaotic, too troublesome, too dangerous, and um, you should really leave them to get on with it. Uh, I myself, as a, a newspaper reporter in the 1990s, in 1999 in fact, went to Kosovo with the British Army and a uh, British Army officer uh, on stood on the Serbian border and he said that when the British went home or when NATO went home um, the uh, Balk- peoples of the Balkans would settle things and his words were in the old Balkan way. So... That gives you a clue as to the, sort of the the, the views uh, of the Atlantic world on um the Balkans. The other view is that the balkans um were a kind of a playground for outside forces and always had been and It was this reason why it had irreconcilable tensions. Not only did the balkans have a ha- have a past of um uh, colonization by the Ottoman Empire, but also by uh, intervention from Russia and then the Soviet Union, um, from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Um, the uh, economic penetration of Yugoslavia by um, West Germany and then uh, the united uh, Germany um, after the end of the Cold War um, was extensive so um the uh, the the ability um of particularly in the 1990s the eu to speed the pace of change away from a um a socialist state towards something far more um free market was perhaps responsible for, or partly responsible for, the generation of powerful nationalist tensions. But it's the tendency of outside observers um, to kind of sweep the uh, people that they're observing kind of off the page of history uh, a little bit. You either look on the uh, Serbs, Bosnians, Croats and others as being, you know, almost like kind of troublesome children that can't behave themselves, or they are helpless victims being puppeteered by uh, whichever power is taking an interest in them at that particular point in time. So the third view surely has to be one that uh, articulates the views and the outlooks of the people in question. Now, it's it goes without saying that... Um, there was immense bad blood uh, within Yugoslavia Um, the Yugoslavia being a federation of nations that had uh, fought each other in almost genocidal terms during the uh, Second World War if you go back half a dozen podcasts to the podcast I did on Tito uh, and the Second World War um, not only were the Serbs um, the victims of mass killings uh, during the war but at the end they took their revenge on the Croats in a spectacular bloody fashion and these were uh, these were events uh, a generation away um, and the Balkans as with everywhere else as they uh, hold a particular long and uh, resentful memories but that in itself doesn't explain um doesn't explain everything that happened um It would be um inconceivable for virtually any nation on earth to hold itself together um if the only thing that could possibly produce such fissile violent explosions um was uh, memories of of past wrongdoings I mean, Um, So there had to be something else. And the answer really is the actions of politicians in Belgrade, in Serbia, for the most part, um, and the actions of the leadership of Croatia, to a slightly lesser degree, I would argue, but um, particularly Franco Franco Tuchman from the early 1990s onwards. One of the problems that you have with a figure like Tito is it's such a kind of a powerful monolithic figure that he comes to embody, really, the state that he created. And when he died in 1980, um, that not only was the, the world around him that was created in 1945 in the the ashes of the Second World War beginning to decay. The Soviet Union, uh, no friend to Tito, um, was experiencing serious economic problems, as was the rest of Eastern Europe. And um, Tito's own model of um, socialism um, also was uh, one which was experiencing profound economic crisis. Um, but So when he died in, in 1980, there was no one significant figure to fill his shoes who could uh, articulate uh, a credible future for um, socialist Yugoslavia um, or manage to keep down, through force of personality and ideology, the nationalist tensions that were far more powerful, um, far more powerful, far more irrational um, uh, than any kind of ideological gloss that had been put on Yugoslavia in the previous four decades and were um, poised to sweep it all away. Perhaps Tito would have been able to had he lived, but that is goes into the realm of those counterfactuals which we've got to avoid at all costs. So uh, a bit of context uh, about Yugoslavia. You have this uh, multi-ethnic, multi-religious nation that had been um, held together since uh, 1945. It had been originally established after the uh, First World War, the Paris Peace Conference, but you have a a northern Catholic Slovenia and Croatia um, that had been far more associated with the Austro-Hungarian Empire And in the south, you have um, Bosnia, Serbia, Montenegro, uh, Macedonia, and uh, obviously Kosovo, which had been part of uh, the Ottoman Empire... And this meant that you had a large number of orthodox uh, serbs and bosnian serbs um a large number of um a large minority of muslims um particularly Albanian muslims uh, in places like Kosovo and uh, Bosnia, uh, and therefore there, ha- there were um, there was a sort of potential for um, ethnic strife, um, and the the, the uh, intermixed nature of these um, Balkan territories called you know called Balkanization, where you had Muslim communities and um, Orthodox Serb communities living side by side. Um, it didn't mean that the that ethnic violence was inevitable. Obviously, people, you know, Muslim and Orthodox and Catholic people, um, Serbs, Croats, um, Bosnians and Kosovars, had all uh, been able to get on and cooperate to differing degrees in the past. Um, but these, this was ripe territory for exploitation and manipulation. And then you got imagine that you not only had um, ethnic tensions in Yugoslavia, but social ones as well. You can't bring a largely rural um, peasant society or selection collection of societies into uh, enforced modernisation, enforced urbanisation, a socialist modernity, Without there being tensions, uh, rural communities and urban communities were connected in ways that they had never been connected before uh, under uh, Tito's um, regime. And when that regime began to crumble, um, dislocation and resentments and animosities uh, emerged as a result. Now, throughout um, the communist world, I mean, if you look at the Soviet Union or the Balkans or pretty much anywhere else, um, the idea that um, class um, loyalties transcended ethnic ones was an article of faith. It was believed by the communists. Well, perhaps. Believed less by them towards the end of the 20th century, but they were uh, unable in most uh, countries where uh, communism was um, the uh, official doctrine, um, they were unable to. Uh, den-
0: you should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. and three hundred and sixty five day returns
1: nine, the, 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 this line of thinking um, that um, the that ethnic ties were a kind of a false consciousness a, a holdover from a feudal past, and that um, the the bourgeoisie cruelly tricked peasants and proletarians into waging two world wars on one another um, and ignoring their um, real Um, uh, their their, uh, real class interests and uh, embracing, uh, you know, one another across uh, national divides. Well, it turns out that people very rarely actually do this. Um, There's uh, evidence after evidence, case study after case study, that um, national ties and ideas around national identity are just much, much stronger than, uh, than, than than class affiliations, and particularly in a very short period of time, historically speaking, in Yugoslavia, um, there was very little um, chance of a uh, a pan uh, Yugoslav. Uh, class consciousness emerging, where uh, Croat workers and Croat peasants uh, looked with fondness upon Serbian or Bosnian ones, um, and um, looked with hostility at the, um, the the bourgeoisie who had been uh, removed from power. Uh, this doesn't really happen. Sure, there are class resentments. That's true. You know, there very often people toiling in the fields will resent the uh, wealthy and privileged above them, but they'll often be have far greater potential animosities to people of other ethnicities. And it was this that the communists tried to brush over and tried to ignore, or tried to pretend wasn't there, that indeniably was. The attempt to make um, uh, young people, children and teenagers, see themselves as Yugoslav has some degree of success, but it was never as powerful as the forces of nationalism which reawoke uh, after the death of Tito and throughout the 1980s and on into the 1990s. The um, suppression by Tito of uh, all forms of national identity other than that of this uh, you know, newly developing uh, Yugoslav identity um, were unsuccessful, Um, they were um, superficial, and uh, they led to ever greater resentment, particularly when it was um, realised among many people uh, throughout the 1980s that uh, communism's lifespan was being certainly called into question. However... In urban centres, um, religion and national identity meant much less. Um, religiosity in general in uh, cities like Sarajevo or Zagreb uh, is in decline. Um, debates over language, identity and culture, again, are seen as less and less relevant. And the um, it's really in... The countryside that you tend to find um, more uh, culturally conservative and uh, belligerent uh, and uh, religiously um, devout um, uh, Croats, Bosnians uh, and Serbs, and it's in the countryside that uh, memories over the uh, Croat use of Catholicism to oppress Jews and Serbs during the war and the uh, violence uh, reciprocated um, against the Croats at the end of the war that these sorts of memories persist longer uh, in the countryside so you've got this uh, unclear picture but by and large it is the the, the demagogues of the um, late 80s and early 90s um, who make most use of the the kind of the new uh, unstable environment in which many uh, Yugoslavs or, well, former Yugoslavs find themselves in. Much has been made of Islam in this um, story. Um, it's been made mainly by war criminals at the Hague um, that there was um, some sort of struggle against radical Islam Happening and this justifies the murders of eight thousand Bosnian Muslims at Srebrenica and, and things like that, and it's largely nonsense. The um, uh, the, the the prevalence of um, radical Islam and Islamists uh, amongst the uh, Bosnian Muslims, who um, are, are largely um, or reasonably, shall we say, at any rate. Are, Secularized um, Muslim uh, population of any moderate in their in their religious views, um, the presence the presence of jihadis here until actually the civil war um, broke out in the Balkans, it was, was virtually unknown. Um, similarly, the Bosnian Muslims and Albanian Muslims and uh, Kosovar Muslims had very little in common with one another. This shown once again, national affiliation, the sense of being a Bosnian, um, was far more powerful than... Um, cross-border sort of pan-Islamic sentiment within the Balkans Um, and it's only um, later on in the 1990s when uh, Muslim fighters come from Europe and come from the Middle East um, to uh, ostensibly defend uh, Muslims in the Balkans and um, wage their own personal wars uh, that you see any kind of radicalism at all so the pronouncements, the later pronouncements of Radovan Karadic and Ratko Mladic at the Hague, uh, should be obviously taken with a more than a pinch of salt. Perhaps the uh, explanation behind the epidemic of violence that is inflicted upon uh, Muslims within the former Yugoslavia was the anxiety um, about not just the um, lower birth rates of Serbs and Croats and the higher birth rates of um, Albanians and Bosnians, uh, among whom there were significant numbers of Muslims. One hidden factor that caused Yugoslavia to unravel can be found in the rest of Europe. In uh, the 1950s and 60s, when there is this golden age of economic expansion in Europe, this uh, almost unprecedented and perhaps never-to-be-repeated boom, Um, the surplus population of the poorer southern republics of Yugoslavia is sucked out of the country and into Europe Places like Germany um, to do reasonably well-paid uh, labouring and, and other work, and factory work, and remittances are sent back to Yugoslavia, and Yugoslavia does very well as a result for a country that has uh, attempted to be uh, an isolationist socialist state it was deeply connected and um, uh, plugged into uh, the uh, global order of capitalism via uh, Europe and the uh, developing uh, European economy now from the 1970s onwards this all goes into reverse Uh, the oil crisis, the oil shocks and the long European recession of the 1970s Leads a large surplus population in Yugoslavia that has uh, the, the high levels of unemployment, and the deadliest thing that the uh, Yugoslavs receive from Europe is debt, um, as with uh, all other well, majority of other East European countries, uh, from Poland to Romania, borrowing um, to shore up the faltering um, uh, faltering economies uh, that had been uh, struggling throughout the 1970s and to find some way of adapting to create a uh, socialist-based uh, consumer society. Uh, this incurred huge debts and it, the hopeful economic booms uh, that would pay off the debts never materialise. And so larger and larger proportions of GDP are committed To be servicing debt with disastrous consequences. Belgrade began to uh, print its own money, and obviously, this results in hyperinflation by the uh, mid 1980s and a rate of 1,240% inflation by 1989. So it's small wonder. Uh, as you can see in Great Britain at the moment, with uh, Scottish devolution and the entirely likely possibility of Scottish independence, uh, it's small wonder that you have uh, Croats and Slovenes and Bosnians and uh, Serbs saying that they'd be better off making their own economic decisions, particularly as, uh, by the end of the 1980s, it's, it's entirely clear that the economic orthodoxy that the entire country had been based on had uh, been discredited and gone into terminal decline. Um, so these are just some of the ingredients here, uh, of the, some of the long-term ingredients that lead to this explosion of violence in the early to mid-1990s. In the dying days of communism, as had happened across the rest of Eastern Europe, knowing that it was impossible to convince the various populations um, of uh, of Yugoslavia any longer that communism worked economically, a new kind of uh, communist nationalism had to be uh, attempted, and Milosevic was just the man to have a go at this. He was a fairly obscure and unknown uh, Serbian Communist Party apparatchik Um, and yet he could see that a power vacuum had existed for the best part of the 1980s where Tito had once been and so the vehicle to uh, propel him to the top was the exploitation of national resentments. And this really is the, the, the final part of the puzzle. So um, the likes of Slobodan Milosevic and Franjo Tunchman, um were both really opportunists. Opportunists who took advantage of the ideal circumstances for resurgent and assertive nationalism. They um, were at the very least complacent probably more likely directly complicit in unleashing tensions, uh, unleashing um, ethnic tensions in the Balkans which led ultimately to a war that lasted throughout the uh, best part of the 1990s and killed an estimated 140,000 people. I hope you find this useful and interesting, and I'll be back next week uh, with one of the final podcasts of the year. We'll do a bit of a, a roundup of some of the great reads of uh, 2016, and uh, here's hoping you guys, if we don't catch you in the meantime, have a great Christmas, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.